Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin, Ontario's top doc, strongly recommending we wear masks indoors. Pediatric hospitals across the province continue to struggle. There are troubling waters ahead for Ontario's economy. Learn why First Ontario Centre's tenants are not too happy. We take you to the G20 Summit in Bali, and Chris Rock is helping Netflix take a step forward. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Unfortunately, still talking about masks and the strong recommendation from Dr. Kieran Moore, which you heard live here on 900 CHML, to wear masks in all indoor public places. So with the strong recommendation that we do so, what is happening in Hamilton, and, and could there be something else down the line? Brendan Liu is Hamilton Public Health Services resident doctor and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Brendan, welcome to the show. Hi, Rick. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. What is uh, the guidance from Hamilton Public Health? So at Hamilton Public Health, we are uh, echoing the messages of Dr. Moore yet to say that we are strongly recommending uh, that use of a well-fitting mask uh, in indoor settings in conjunction with all of our other public health measures, including staying up to date on those vaccines, um, staying home if you're ill, and making sure that you're you're uh, practicing good hand hygiene and, and um, uh, killing any of those bugs that we're, we're concerned about. Can Hamilton Public Health, and maybe uh, I'm not even sure if you guys have the appetite to do so, can it go above and beyond what Dr. Moore is recommending, i.e., uh, can can the city or public health uh, order a mask mandate indoors or, or perhaps on public transit like the HSR? So we continue to to assess all the trends in, in the data that we're seeing and continue to work with our chief medical officer of health and, and other public health units around around measures. What, what we've seen through the pandemic, though, is that uh, having a patchwork of different measures in different regions is is really not the most effective way of reducing transmission of COVID or, or really any other respiratory illness. And so... Uh, any measure that that we are we are looking at for Hamilton is something that we we would be looking to to be implemented at the provincial level. And so at this at this time, we're not looking at specific measures within within Hamilton, but continue to to look at uh, the data as as it uh, presents itself. In, in in saying that, if that data does at one point suggest that we're in crisis mode in the city, but provincially it's not that way, does public health have the power to order something different, i.e. a mask mandate? So there there are um, legal provisions in in legislation around the powers of the medical officer of health, but but what we've what we've seen is that uh, those aren't always the best tool in our toolkit to really accomplish what we need to accomplish, and and so with that, that's the rationale behind our really strong recommendation around uh, masking in, in indoor settings, and and. Those are those are principles that are going to apply to really anybody across the province. Hamilton, Hamilton is no different. We're we're under stress everywhere in, in the healthcare system, and and we're really calling upon Hamiltonians to uh, wear that mask in that crowded indoor setting to make sure you have your flu shot and your and your updated bivalent COVID vaccine, and to really be quite uh, cautious to to stay home if you're ill. 
Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Brendan Liu, Hamilton Public Health Services resident doctor. We're talking about uh, masks and the strong recommendation yesterday from Dr. Kieran Moore to wear a mask in all indoor public places in order to protect our kids from these respiratory viruses and more and more of them going to pediatric hospitals like Mac Kids. We have heard loud and clear from the anti-mask movement that masks in, in some regards do more harm than good. Would you like to dispel that myth? Absolutely. So we've seen through the pandemic the the tremendous impact that masks can have on protecting us and those uh, around us from respiratory viruses such as COVID, influenza. We when when masks were widespread in use across the province, we we saw almost a complete disappearance of of these seasonal viruses like influenza and and RSV in in, in past years. And I think that's a testament to really how impactful it is when, especially when there's a high proportion of people that are wearing masks in those crowded public settings. And so wearing a well-fitted uh, mask when you're indoors around other people is really a key effective measure in terms of protecting yourself from COVID influenza RSV, but also those around you, those who are older, those who are younger or might be more vulnerable for any reason. One of the thoughts that is making its way uh, around social media, and I'm sure in communities not only across this city, but around the province or, or around the world, is that wearing a mask impacts the immune system's ability to fight off viruses. Your thoughts on that thought? So our, our immune systems are working around the clock to protect us, and, and they are always, uh, they are always um, responding to whatever... Uh, virus or, or bug that we might be encountering in the environment and and generating that, that immune response that, that fights it off and, and helps us to feel better. The, the mask is a measure that really prevents that virus or that bacteria for, from uh, even reaching the body in the first place. And, and so it's, it, they're, they're measures that work in tandem. Your, your immune system is going to keep fighting for you in your body, and the mask is really going to provide that additional layer of protection. So um, they, masks are really a quite an important measure in terms of protecting us and those around us from, from those respiratory uh, viruses. As a doctor, you must have been pulling your hair out over the last two and, two and a half years, almost three years now, at people's reluctance to put on a mask. Everybody has uh, lots of different um, uh, viewpoints, and, but I think ultimately uh, people in Hamilton are, are really interested in protecting ourselves as a community and, and really protecting those who are, who are uh, more vulnerable around us. And so I, I have a, a strong belief and trust in, in uh, Hamiltonians in the community to really do uh, what's, what's best in terms of protecting themselves as well as protecting those uh, around us, and that includes Masking includes getting your vaccines and really includes being cautious uh, if you might be ill. Dr. Liu, appreciate your time today. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. That is uh, Dr. Brendan Liu. He is Hamilton Public Health Services resident doctor chiming in on the mask debate as the strong recommendation from Dr. Kieran Moore, Ontario's Chief Medical Officer of Health, is to wear a mask from, well, I guess until the spring at least, or until he says otherwise, in all indoor public places as more and more kids get sent to hospital with these serious uh, respiratory illnesses. 
You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. If you have any symptoms of infection, you should mask around those that are the most vulnerable to our uh, individuals. You should be screening on a daily basis. Good hand hygiene is going to be exceptionally important with RSV and influenza. It's a call to vaccinate against influenza and COVID as there's no vaccine against RSV. We need to protect our health system. We need to protect each other. And it's really getting back to all of those basics. Welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton. Hamilton on 900 CHML. That is the voice of Ontario's Chief Medical Officer of Health, Dr. Kieran Moore. You heard him live here, strongly recommending that everyone wear masks in all indoor public places to protect children from respiratory viruses. As we know, you've been hearing the news over the last number of days now, uh, really a number of weeks now, pediatric hospitals across Ontario being forced to, well, for instance, cancel surgery so they can free up physicians to deal with children with very serious respiratory conditions, one of those being RSV. Uh, McMaster Children's Hospital running at about 140% capacity. That is way too high. Monique Taylor is the NDP MPP for Hamilton Mountain and the critic for Children, Community and Social Services and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Monique, good morning. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Good morning, Rick. How are you? I'm good. You sent a letter to Health Minister Sylvia Jones urging the Ford government to take immediate action. Uh, tell us about your note and, and what action is needed. Uh, thank you uh, so much. Uh, yes, I did. Uh, as we're hearing uh, very loudly in our community, um, you know, the overcapacity of hospitals, the the lack of resources, um, not having enough nurses, not having uh, the um, the stability in our system to be able to withhold the surge of young kids that we're seeing um, in our system. And so um, I've asked the the minister to to please uh, provide resources, uh, provide. Uh, more, more nurses, doctors um, into the system, and to ensure that McMaster has the resources that it needs to be able to uh, withhold this uh, surge of of kids. The the insertion of more uh, physicians is kind of tricky because we don't have a lot of them hanging around. Right, uh, but they need to be able to try to pull up resources uh, from from other areas and regions um, to make sure that we can get through what we what we need. But but that's difficult too, right? Uh, because we we know that the surge is is happening across the province. Uh, uh, you know, Ottawa has had a huge surge, uh, also uh, with kids in their in their uh, ERs and in their hospitals, and and they're begging uh, for resources also. Was this caused by government inaction? Well, um, we're seeing a crisis in our hospitals right across the board, and that is government in action. Uh, that's, uh, you know, underfunding, not keeping up with inflation. Uh, Bill 124, which has uh, definitely uh, pushed nurses out of uh, the system and, and, you know, felt as they felt disrespected and, and left. Uh, Bill 124 is a, is a wage restraint uh, that's been on for almost four years now, um, which doesn't allow them to get the increases, uh, cost of inflation, uh, cost Cost of living uh, increases that they that they typically get um, every year, um, and so we're seeing uh, many nurses uh, who are burnt out, as uh, particularly through COVID, the hardest time uh, in our healthcare system. And there, there's wage restraints and uh, just a, just a sense of disrespect. And so uh, nurses are leaving in droves, and uh, we're we're definitely seeing that uh, the the lack of uh, um, 
of nurses now, just uh, Hamilton Health Sciences uh, for McMaster alone, uh, they have 425 job openings. Uh, that's a big number. Um, so they're the type of resources that we need um, in our hospitals. And uh, that's the government's job to make sure that that happens. We have a couple more minutes with Monique Taylor, Hamilton Mountain NDP MPP and the Critic for Children Community and Social Services. Uh, you're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. The Ontario Liberals calling for universal masking in schools and on transit, the RNAO calling for an immediate mandate to masks once again. The Chief Medical Officer of Health strongly recommending that we wear masks in all indoor public places. Where do you stand on all this? Well, we're not doctors, we're politicians, uh, so we're following uh, the Chief Medical Officer of Health, uh, but we know that uh, when we're indoors, uh, we need those masks. So we're also encouraging very strongly uh, to make sure that uh, people are putting their masks on and keeping each other safe while we're surging uh, during this flu and, uh, you know, it's that season, right? So uh, there's lots of things that we can protect ourselves from. Uh, so, you know, do the right thing, wear your mask, wash your hands, keep your distance, um, and hopefully we can uh, keep people out of hospitals. Monique, appreciate the time. Stay safe, and uh, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You too. That is Monique Taylor, Hamilton Mountain NDP MPP, also the critic for children, community, and social services. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. After unprecedented spending in response to the pandemic, now is the time for governments to show restraint, to act cautiously and responsibly. That is the voice of Finance Minister Peter Bethlin Falvey, and you're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Rick Samprin with you. Thanks for joining us this morning. The Ontario government delivering its latest fall economic statement and signaled that the province is prepared for tougher economic times ahead. Finance Minister Peter Bethlin Falvey joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Peter, good morning. Welcome back to the show. Well, good morning, Hamilton, and good morning, Rick. We know that many Ontarians are struggling with the high cost of living. I went through some of the highlights. of. There's not much support for mom and pop out there other than small businesses. Why is that? Well, when you say mom and pop, uh, you know, we uh, I, I assume you're referencing um, uh, families with children. And, you know, we are doing a lot there. You know, we have the child care tax credit, which is helping a, a lot of families. We doubled it. Uh, in the last budget, and uh, we also assigned the historic uh, child care agreement and delivering $10 a day child care. But uh, we're also providing relief for, for families who have to drive their kids to school and drive to work, uh, you know, providing some relief at the pumps. And so so we're, uh, we're targeting a, a number of not just families in this province, uh, small businesses, seniors, uh, and uh, we'll continue to, to focus on, on providing those targeted supports in this amid this economic environment and uncertainty that, we, that we're facing. And to no one's surprise, yesterday you signaled those uncertain times were ahead. What is the bigger concern for you going forward? Is it high inflation or a looming recession? Well, I think all of the above. Uh, you know, we are in a time of, uh, you know, I was around in the early 80s when, when inflation was this high and, uh, and, and interest rates had to get high and, and the economic impacts of that. Uh, you know, we are providing targeted supports to help those, uh, you know, because these, the cost of living has, has for many, uh, really uh, caused a pinch in, in their wallets. Uh, that's why we're providing the gas tax relief for, for the 8 million drivers who have to go to work in a car or take their kids to school in a car. That's why we're providing... We announced uh, income supports for uh, 200,000 seniors by doubling the 
guaranteed annual income supplement for for our seniors. That's why we're we increased the minimum wage to the second highest in the country of any province, and and it's why we uh, came back in the summer to the legislature after we got elected to pass my budget, which included the low individual family tax credit, which means that um, we have some of the lowest income taxes for uh, personal income tax workers, uh, personal income taxes for low income workers in in the country. So so we're we're tackling these things uh, head on. Um, am I concerned about the economic environment? Always. Uh, but we have a plan, and I, I'm very confident that we'll get through it. We have a couple more minutes with Ontario Finance Minister Peter Bethlin-Falvey, also the Conservative MPP for Pickering-Uxbridge. Opposition parties say not enough is being done to improve our ailing health care systems, uh, physicians, hospitals. What is the provincial government doing on this file? Well, we're, we're, we've increased the health care spending. Again, that uh, budget that we came back in the summer to pass includes a record amount of uh, investment in our health care system but but you know what it's not the money i mean obviously we're, we're making those investments we're doing that but it's also uh working with healthcare professionals and not accepting the status quo we have to deliver health care in a different way which means more home and community care it means more long-term care it means uh attracting and retaining healthcare workers you know for example the accreditation of people who are uh, trained uh, outside of this country in healthcare care that want to work in on in the Ontario healthcare system, being able to fast track them into the healthcare system. It's retired nurses who it's a lot of red tape to get back into the healthcare system. Streamlining that, it's things like the the learn and stay program where you can get an education in the community. If you stay in that community in the healthcare or your nurse, or uh, you're able to uh, have your tuition paid for. So. It, we, we're dealing with things today, and we're also deal, building the framework uh, and the infrastructure necessary to provide sustainable health care in the long term. We only got about 45 seconds. Would repealing Bill 124 entice more health care people to the field? Well, you know, what I, what I would say is what, what will help is attracting and retaining more people. That's why we increased the personal support uh, worker uh, uh pay by $3 an hour and made it permanent. That's why we paid out a retention bonus of $5,000, which uh, uh, hit uh, bank accounts in May and September of this year for, for all nurses. And, you know, you know, back to the economy, we can't, we can't afford that, uh, all the investments in healthcare unless we have a robust economy. And that's why, you know, we continue to invest in jobs. And uh, I'll just mention in Hamilton, the, the money we're putting into the DeVasco plant to convert it from coal to, to electricity, um, we put a shovel in the ground and on the Confederation Go station to build uh, build that line, and that brings good jobs into the community. And that's the work, growing our economy will help pay for these world uh, healthcare uh, world class healthcare costs. Minister Bethlen Falvey, always appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Rick. That is Peter Bethlen Falvey, Ontario Finance Minister, Conservative MPP, Pickering Uxbridge. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Well, the owners of Hamilton's sports teams that play their home games at First Ontario Centre, not too happy after learning that the reconstruction of the downtown arena is going to keep them from playing there for two seasons. Mike Morialli is the commissioner and CEO of the Canadian Elite Basketball League and joins us now on GMH. Mike, good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. Good morning, Rick. This new time frame obviously is going to impact the uh, Hamilton Bulldogs, the Toronto Rock lacrosse team, and the 2022 CEBL champion Hamilton Honey Badgers. What do you make of this latest development? 
Uh, it's it's obviously a bit concerning uh, from our point of view. And, and you know, I, I can only look at our particular situation. You know, this is a, a team that has had to endure a lot, to, you know, it, as, as everyone in sports has over the last several years. But, you know, from launching in 2019 and being no fans in 2020 and very few fans the, into the latter half of 2021 and then finally welcoming back fans back in 22, it's only really been two seasons that the team has been able to play in front of fans in Hamilton. So only 24 games over the last four years. And the thought of having to kind of do that all over again and, and, you know, have to be displaced for two seasons is concerning because as a, as a young team, as a young league, you try to make your inroads in the communities you play in. And if you're forced to relocate elsewhere, well, you have to make inroads in those communities as well. And it's hard to have, you know, one foot in and one foot out in two locations. Part of the the issue with this too is, and I think that all the teams, and of course the CEBL would be a very supportive of a, a rejuvenated First Ontario Centre. There's only going to be positive things that come from that. But one of the uh, the big bugaboos from what we've heard is that the communication has been lacking and the original plan was for a season and maybe a little bit of a second season would be interrupted. Did you hear the same? Was that basically the sentiment from the start? Yes, that's right. I, I would say the communication has not been good at all, and, I, and it's hard to point fingers because there's a lot of people that are behind the scenes, uh, and I'm not sure where the communication breakdown happens or who is responsible. But in the communication that we did get before the official um, letter the other day, the last time, besides a, you know, a small meeting in October just with some small updates, would have been over a year ago. And um, in the one before that was about a year before that. And those times we were we were told that um, it was the understanding and, and hope that we'd be able to play through it. That very similar to a Madison Square Garden renovation where, you know, the hockey team can play and the basketball team can play and they'll work around both of those particular situations. Well, that's obviously not the case based on the um, literature we received the other day. And now it looks like a a full two-year shutdown, and I, I have to be honest, <laughs> historically speaking, you know, I'm not sure anything has gone to plan uh, with a lot of these major um, events and major projects in Hamilton. So I, I'm a little bit nervous that it will only be two years. Um, that's another major concern uh, moving forward as well. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Mike Morialli, the commissioner and CEO of the Canadian Elite Basketball League. We're talking about the renovations, upcoming renovations at First Ontario Centre that will keep all of the local sports teams that play at that facility out for uh, probably what, and you're probably right, for at least two seasons. Who knows what kind of construction delays will materialize because there's always those when everyone is renovating their house or a major facility like First Ontario Centre, there's bound to be something that that pops up. You mentioned it too, you know, that the, the pandemic has certainly not helped many sports teams, but this is, in, in the Honey Badgers case, a very successful team that has put down some roots here in Hamilton. How difficult is it going to be to spread those roots to potentially another community? Well, I mean, we can certainly spread the roots to another community. We can, we will be welcomed without any doubt in, in several communities that we're looking at and have been forced to look at. Um, but it's what you leave behind by not being in Hamilton. And um, anyone that knows me understands the value I place on on the city and, and what it's done for me and and my ability to to be involved in, in professional sports in the city and 
you know, bringing basketball to Hamilton was a major thrill of mine and a major um, decision back in, you know, late 2018 going into 2019. So, you know, not being able to see that out how it was intended and, and I am all for the renovations. I mean, it's, it's, definitely needed um, to attract people back to the building, to attract people back to downtown. I think it's the appropriate thing to do. I just think it's, it's the last minute notice and the severity of the, you know, the extension of being away that does cause problems because we have business and we have uh, people that we have to uh, look out for, not just from a fan perspective, from uh, players and coaches and, and ownership and you name it sponsors um that uh, you know the communication now is is a bit convoluted and we have to work our way through it do what's best for for the team do what's best for the league and and hopefully um you know look back on this two three years from now and, and kind of chuckle about it but right now it doesn't feel like a laughing matter we got uh, about 45 seconds have you looked at i'm sure you have other facilities in and around hamilton is the, is the preference to keep the honey badgers as close to hamilton as possible whether that's st Catharines or Brantford or somewhere in the gta it's definitely the preference uh, i will tell you it is going to be difficult to do there are just not any suitable mid-market arenas or spectator facilities in the hamilton or burlington area it's tough to share venues like if you wanted to share with a meridian center let's say or or another uh, arena, it does become difficult. And there's things that need to be done so far in advance from scheduling and getting dates that, you know, 2024 may seem far away, but but it's not in the world of sports. So um, everything is on the table. It has to be on the table. Thankfully, we've been working on things, uh, knowing it was coming. We just didn't know when and we didn't know for how long. So um, this does just make um, our decisions I guess more time sensitive and um, and we have to make them concrete in the near future. Well, we wish you uh, good luck in dribbling through this issue and I'm sure on the other side of it, uh, it'll be a, a much stronger league and, and certainly arena and for the Hamilton Honey Badgers, a little displacement hopefully isn't too damaging to the brand. That is for sure. Mike, always appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Rick. Mike Morialli, Commissioner and CEO of the Canadian Elite Basketball League. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Overseas we go. Russia's brutal war in Ukraine is creating food and energy crises. It's disrupting supply chains and raising the cost of living. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau in Bali, Indonesia for the first full day of the G20 Leaders Summit and the well, the politicking is thick with Russia and China both in the crosshairs. Trudeau and U.S. President Joe Biden expected to press the world's largest economies to further isolate Russia diplomatically and economically over its invasion of Ukraine. Let's talk about that with John Curtin, the director of G20 Research Group based at the University of Toronto. John, good morning. How are you? Pretty good. Uh Good evening here from Bali to you. Uh, pleased to be uh, ha- pleased to have you on the show today, John. Thanks for joining us. Uh, let's begin with the uh, the effort to isolate Russia. We have European Council President Charles Michel saying that the G20 is crucial to stopping Russia using food and energy as weapons. What do you make of the isolation plan, given that Russia has a pretty strong relationship with China? I it's going uh, very well. Um, it was one of the objectives, uh, the first one, in fact, of our own Prime Minister, uh, Pierre Trudeau. Uh, but many other uh, countries have certainly uh, joined him uh, in that uh, quest. 
What we do know is that after six days of intense work today, um, the personal representatives of the leaders have finally agreed on a draft consensus uh, communique, and it states uh, quite clearly a strong condemnation of the war in Ukraine. Now, it doesn't say that Russia started, uh, but everybody knows uh, who did it. So President Xi of China, who a little while ago had publicly proclaimed his friendship with no limits with Vladimir Putin, has shifted a great deal uh, and uh, is going along, apparently, with a statement of strong condemnation. We also see uh, other language um, basically uh, saying that no one which implicitly means Mr. Putin should threaten the use of nuclear weapons in the war in Ukraine, which, of course, Vladimir Putin had done uh, just a few weeks uh, ago. So the message from the G19 to Mr. Putin, uh, still uh, way back home alone in uh, Moscow, didn't come, is quite clear. You, pre- you mentioned uh, Chinese President Xi Jinping, who is, by the way, making his first trip outside China since the COVID-19 pandemic began. Um, these are, the, you know, this is an interesting development given, as I mentioned previously, the relationship that Russia and China has had. Is this a reversal, of course, from the Chinese? Oh, I think it very much is. Uh, and uh, we saw that when, uh, even before the collective summit uh, started, it was an important bilateral meeting between President Xi and the President Joe Biden of the United States. Uh, the first time ever that these two uh, men had met face to face as presidents of the two largest and most powerful countries in the uh, world. And there uh, it was a, um, a three hour meeting, uh, a fluid conversation open back and forth. They could really um, dig down into uh, what was on each other's mind. And there we saw a great deal of consensus on some fundamental uh, points, including the fact uh, that they jointly agreed that nuclear war uh, cannot be won, should never uh, be fought. And they also agreed to um, continue uh, the communication between their two countries and they uh, relaunched uh, their program of cooperation on climate change, which had been suspended uh, a little while ago. So I think what we do see is um, the great uh, divide across the Pacific uh, between the two uh, is now beginning to uh, come down, and that will make it much easier to uh, reach consensus amongst uh, the 19, uh, even the 20 uh, countries in the collective summit, which is just now uh, ending its uh, first day. We have a couple more minutes with John Curtin, the director of the G20 Research Group, based out of the University of Toronto, who's live with us from Bali, Indonesia, where the G20 Leaders Summit is occurring. There is a lot of business to do as well, and I'm sure Canada wants to do much more business with Indonesia. It's the fourth most populous country on the planet. Its economy is growing. Uh, We currently have a bilateral uh, deal with Indonesia, but how is Trudeau and how is the federal government going to try to grow that? Well, in many ways, um, both uh, in the economic realm, uh, certainly, uh, but it's backed by a stronger uh, 
people to people, public diplomacy, educational and uh, security uh, partnerships. And uh, the prime minister on uh, this trip, um, on his way to uh, Indonesia, uh, launched um, a $333 million a new program of financial support for these uh, initiatives. On the uh, trade and investment front, uh, Indonesia is a country much like Canada in many ways. Uh, the two countries are basically tied for having the longest coastlines in the world. That's good for uh, renewable energy, uh, offshore uh, wind. Uh, they are major uh, forest powers, uh, major um, peatland um, powers. And in a number of these uh, fields, of course, um, Canada is uh, far ahead of uh, Indonesia in developing the technology in the forest products industry, uh, for example, in renewable um, energy. So Canada has a great opportunity to um, transfer its technology, uh, to use it to uh, invest in Indonesia, to help Indonesia grow further or faster. It's already doing very well on economic growth this year. But do it in a way uh, that also protects the uh, natural uh, environment. And since that's uh, quite a strong new commitment of the Indonesians under uh, President Joko Widodo, I think there's a, a great synergy here between the two countries. Not to mention, of course, um, the extraordinary uh, tourism advantages of uh, Indonesia with Bali itself uh, at its center. John, I really appreciate your time uh, today. Enjoy the rest of the evening and the rest of the G20 uh, Leader Summit in Bali. Okay, will do. Thanks. That is John Curtin, the director of the G20 Research Group based out of the University of Toronto, joining us from Bali, Indonesia. They're uh, 13 hours ahead, in case you are wondering. Canada has some work to do at the G20, and it sounds like they're getting some stuff done. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Let's lighten the mood just a little bit with what Netflix is proposing to do, and that is offering live events in the future. And there is an iconic comedian that will be apparently helping lead the charge. Bill Brio is a television critic and author. You can find out more, Brio.tv. Bill, welcome back to the show. How are you? Uh, doing okay, Rick. How are you doing? I'm good. So apparently Chris Rock is going to be the first to perform live on Netflix. Is, is this the next big thing for the streaming service? Yes, and uh, we'll get to see if Will Smith uh, steps up and gives him a smack, <laughs> I guess. That's the... The big draw there, um, you know, everybody's trying something right now. The the net, the, all the streaming services have hit the wall. Netflix, of course, very public with its troubles last year and this year. And uh, you know, the last big live uh, prize in in television is live events. We all gather, we all come back for the live shows. Uh, football is just the most, the biggest draw in, in television. And that's and baseball was too. So that's why you saw Apple TV Plus bringing you Friday night baseball games uh, this uh, for the entire season. Um, you know, an NFL they had done deals on Thursday night with streaming services, um, and so yeah, live events, live comedy, live sports. You're going to see more of it on streamers. Is back to Chris Rock. You mentioned the Will Smith thing. Is he the right choice to kind of launch this off the ground? Sure, I think everybody's dying to see. Chris Rock uh, do some comedy. 
Uh, you know, he, he's kept a lower profile since the Oscars. Uh, he's tweeted here and there and a few little hints, but you want to see him, uh, you know, of, of all the comedians right now, yeah, he'd be one of the top headliners that you'd be curious about, I think. Uh, you mentioned uh, NFL with uh, some of its broadcasts, Thursday Night Football and Amazon Prime. Other um, streamers like Disney Plus streaming the uh, the premier episode of Dancing with the Stars, season 31 now underway. Uh, in regards to these live events, um, in terms of you know broadcasting them to the public, what is the competition like to get these kind of, in, in the sports realm, to get these kind of contracts signed? Well, it's big money, yeah, and that's why um, streamers are getting into it. You know, it's been the domain of broadcasters all this time, and the money was already huge. Um, so, yeah, you know, uh, it, 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 it's literally where you can make the best deal. Now, this isn't um, the, the streaming services aren't as flush as they were a year ago. I mean, Disney is doing layoffs, uh, Netflix, massive layoffs. Um, you know, everybody's looking at ad-supported video on demand, a, a tier that would be a bit cheaper. Um, so they're not as flush with cash. So I, I don't know if it's the bonanza that some uh, sport enterprises or others would think. But certainly um, Netflix has spent so much money in the past, billions of dollars per year on content. Um, they kind of have to keep going in order to keep uh, subscribing subscribers happy yeah we'll get another minute with bill brio television critic and author you can find out more brio.tv that's b-r-i-o-u-x.tv the iconic house from a christmas story in cleveland is up for sale just in time for the holidays so your your memories of a christmas story in that uh, that house wow well i won't be bidding on it but um <laughs> you know that's a wonderful movie i believe there were some scenes where were there not some scenes shot around hamilton st Catharines. Um, yeah st Catharines. so uh, yeah, you know, Bob Clark directed that 30 years ago now. It seems in- incredible, or maybe closer to 40. Um, yeah, 1983. It, yeah, so it's it's a, something about the old department store Santa Claus, the Santa Claus parade. It brought back all that nostalgia, some great performances, a funny script, and uh, yeah, one of my favorite Christmas movies for Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. Bill, always appreciate your time. Thanks for chiming in with us today. My pleasure. Anytime, Rick. That is Bill Briou, television critic and author. Briou.tv. That's B-R-I-O-U-X dot TV. Some pretty cool content on that website. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.